you very much for coming back out. I know it's not our custom at this point in the life of our church, so thanks for coming back out this evening and reconvening for this, what I'm calling a mission meeting. If we were talking about, um, if we were talking more specifically about sending people out, then we would put an S on it and call it a missions meeting. But tonight we're just calling it a mission meeting to talk about the mission of the, yeah, there you go, back in the back. If anybody else comes in and it looks like they didn't grab a handout, if, if somebody sitting next to them would just direct them to the back. Um, anyway, tonight is a mission meeting, and I, I, basically what you'll see there at the top there, the reason for this meeting, is that we, we've hit some good milestones, especially over the last six months as a church plant. We've grown really steadily in God's uh, good timing and in his grace, and so it seemed like... Um, you know, over the last couple of months, really any time would have been a good time just to revisit our mission, our overall mission as a church, um, working towards organizing from church plant to church. If you've been in Presbyterian circles, they usually call it particularizing, and that's what we're talking about when we say organizing. So, um, you know, that's years ahead of us, the full organizing, but right now we still have a mission as a church. We'd like to be growing and stabilizing and growing both internally as a congregation and also reaching out to those outside of our congregation as well. So uh, it seemed good time-wise to talk about these very things and then not just leave it in the abstract and think about the, the mission of this church in broad terms only, but to start to get more concrete about some of the activities that we could be about as a congregation. So tonight uh, we're going to speak about goals and means for achieving those goals. And, you know, I, I'm not uh, really thrilled about that kind of language in the church, but I think it's healthy to have goals, uh, even as a church body, as long as we're not thinking about these in worldly terms or in, uh, you know, corporate America terms. We don't have like a bottom line. We're not talking about profit margins and things like that. We're just trying to be on the same page and, uh, sharing the mind of Christ and being about the same things as much as we can. So I think it's healthy to have goals and thinking about the means to attain to those goals. So uh, with that in mind, tonight is not, uh, we're going to talk about practices and activities we can be about as a congregation, but tonight is not about overburdening ourselves with all kinds of new activities and then just like burning ourselves out. Um, That's precisely not what we want to be as a reformed congregation. That's part of what the the reformed tradition has to offer to Christians is you keep you keep the center things of Scripture out front, and uh, and then there's a lot of freedom on on the outlier stuff. So it's not about overburdening ourselves, but just to focus on practical ways um, and getting concrete about how we can be faithful in our overall mission, and then work toward those those goals over time. So you'll see there we've got three. We're going to look at three different things: the overall mission of Madison Reformed Church. Then we're going to spend a good amount of our time this evening speaking internally, speaking about internally as us, us as a congregation, things that we can be about together, and then how we can focus outwardly uh, toward outsiders and, um, and drawing people in and growing in that sense. And then on the back, because I will forget if I don't say it now, there's some resources that I'm recommending that are short and practical and just overall pretty good stuff that I've either read or interacted with in some way. And, um, you know, you can't, you can't agree 100% with anything you read, but there's really good stuff in those materials. So just to get resources, a list of resources going. 
uh, wanted to provide that. All right, let's look at this first point here that, and revisit the overall mission of Madison Reformed Church. What we, um, you know, at the, a year and a half ago, it was, it was my family and the Malcolms and the Licklighters, and we were just meeting together for core group meetings. We didn't have, we weren't having prayer meetings. We were just meeting and um, singing psalms and doing some catechism and then event planning. And that was really all we were doing, and then putting on events in the midst of uh, COVID-19 spikes. And it, it was awesome. It was great. <laughs> in many ways, it was awesome because people still came. You know, we got a good pool of people, even though all that stuff was going on. And those early weeks and months of meeting, we came up with something along the lines of what you see listed there uh, for the mission of Madison Reformed Church. So you can find this on the website. You can find a version of it actually on the banner back there in the, the white font, the white to print, which is that MRC exists to glorify the Lord in reverent worship, receive God's word as it confronts and comforts, and build up the saints to love God and their neighbors until Christ returns. Um, now, over time, the, the wording here could change pretty dramatically. Probably will. You know, I'd take it or leave it with a mission statement. I think there's some use to them. Uh, but you don't have to have one in order to be a good and faithful church. The main thing is that the convictions that are involved with this statement really ought to stay basically the same. However, the mission statement is worded and presented. Um, another way to say it is that we want to be a word and sacrament focused ministry because we, we believe that's what God has given us as the means to building up the saints and reaching the lost. People believe in Christ who didn't believe in Christ because of the word. That's how that works. And then we're strengthened through the word and sacraments. Um, so we want to be a word and sacrament ministry and we want that to lead us to worship and to building one another up and to reaching the lost. It's really simple. You know, and a lot of churches are about these kinds of things, but we're always tempted to just add tons of other things and programming and many of them very good, but it's just easy to, um, to lose sight of what the Lord has given us as central in the ministry. So we're word and sacrament ministry focused. We want to worship the Lord according to scripture, build one another up, and we want to reach the lost. Um, Let's now think concretely about how we, going forward, can maintain our identity according to that mission, but um, see how it could affect the congregation that we are right now and what we could become as we're hopefully, in God's timing, uh, attracting other people into our midst. So let's think internally first. Um, the main goal, the main goals that we have in mind here are fostering a culture of interconnectedness with one another, so the folks that are already here, and then openness to outsiders. I think it's important to strike the balance. That we're, we are learning over time to let our lives intermingle, love one another, support one another, confess our sins to one another. That's in the Bible too. You can't really do that kind of thing effectively unless your lives begin to intertwine, your families know each other, you're loving and serving one another. And that's good and healthy, but also... Bringing others into that dynamic as well means an, an openness to outsiders. By outsiders, I mean um, non-believers or folks who aren't a part of this church in any general sense. Maybe they already are professing Christ, uh, but one, in one sense or another, they're outsiders to this congregation. We ought to be growing in the knowledge of Christ and also, also remain welcoming and warm and friendly 
uh, and, and I think that's part of the openness that we're talking about here. So that's the goal that we have in mind. What are some of the means? What are some of the means? I'm not going to be doing, we're not doing really Bible teaching tonight. These are all kind of assumed bi- biblical principles. And we'll do a lot of teaching on these things over time anyway. So we'll, we'll get there. Um, so how can we be becoming interconnected and remaining open, open to outsiders? The first means to achieving this goal that I think we ought to be focusing on together is celebrating the Sabbath. Celebrating the Sabbath. Uh, in a few weeks, we'll be arriving to Mark chapter 2 and Mark chapter 3. And Jesus ends up in those passages confronting the, some legalistic ideas about the Sabbath. And uh, he says there that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. There's a lot to say about that. The main thing is that the Sabbath is a gift from God to God's people. It's a wonderful gift. It is meant to be a blessing to God's people. It's meant to lead to our Christian pleasure, our joy uh, in God through Christ. And uh, we believe as Reformed Christians that, that we still obey the fourth commandment to, to keep the Sabbath day by observing the Lord's day. That's the, the Christian Sabbath. Um, so we're going to do this in a variety of ways. That's one reason why we're going to do this Ligonier series on the Lord's Day. Robert Godfrey is just a great teacher, and he's awesome on this particular topic. So I think that'll be a challenge to us to kind of think about what the Bible says, how the church has done this historically, and then he'll get into nitty-gritties about difficulties that are involved with, the Lord, with observing the Lord's Day. But I, want, I, I definitely want us to be thinking about celebration of the Lord's Day in the same way that you would celebrate Christmas or a birthday. You know, this is our festival. This is the great Christian festival, and we get it every week. So if we were, if we were to come to the Sabbath, if we approach it as a gift for man, you know, we're not enslaved to the Sabbath, even though it is a commandment. We're not enslaved to it. God has actually given it to us. It's been made for us. So that Lord's Day series through Ligonier hopefully will be a good catalyst for thinking through this. Another thought is uh, spending more of the Lord's Day with other Christians. Right now, our church, for a variety of reasons, we, we do kind of everything in the morning, except for today. Uh, but we do everything kind of in the morning. And then it's kind of, you know, if you're already oriented to just, that's the end of the, the Christian identity of your Lord's Day, then it's very easy to just treat the rest of the day like any other day. Um, what we'll work toward in the future, and there's no timeline on this, uh, but we, w- we will work toward in the future having both a morning and an evening service, which is in keeping with the, the Reformed and Presbyterian way of doing things, and the church historically has tried to maintain some kind of a, a corporate identity. Um, we'll get into Bible teaching about these kinds of things in the future, but uh, one way or the other, uh, as Reformed Christians in this particular denomination, we do have to work toward two services, so we'll get there sooner rather than later as we change our Bible study into a catechism service. But then some, sometime down the line from there, we will work toward making that second service an afternoon or evening service. We'll work to make it as accommodating as we can toward um, everybody in, the, in this body. Whatever the case, whatever the timeline is on that, my encouragement to us as a congregation is to find ways now to spend more time with one another on the Lord's Day. And uh, particularly this congregation, but with other Christians in general. Because 
it's a gift for God's people. This is like, you know, you, you make, a, you make uh, accommodations on other holidays and birthdays. And I'm encouraging us to think about it along those lines. This is our high feast day, and, and we get it every week. So spending more, more of the Lord's Day with other Christians. Um, talking with others about how they take pleasure in the Sabbath. This is one discussion that can just feel like it's not on your mind to just ask somebody else, how does your family absor- observe the Lord's Day? And not only will you probably get some good ideas, but also it will spur on just a, a challenging of one another to find, find faithful ways to be observing the Sabbath, celebrating the Sabbath. It'll probably drive you back to Scripture as well to ask, should I be doing this? Is this a, pro- a prohibition on the Lord's Day? Uh, how can I be best thinking about the, the Sabbath as a celebration? So speaking with others about the Sabbath and, and being uh, intentional about that. How do, they, how do they observe it, celebrate it, and take pleasure in the Sabbath? And then uh, that, the fourth practical uh, idea here is brainstorming ideas for how your home can more faithfully celebrate the Sabbath. This will, depending on where you have landed on this topic, will probably mean some conversations with your family members. And it'll just mean getting on the same page together, which... You know, in healthy families, working toward healthy families, we ought to be talking about these very important topics anyway. But the exhortation is talk with your family about the Lord's Day and make it an open an open discussion and try to try to depressurize it. and Just talk, you know, just talk, because uh, for one reason or another, the fourth commandment just it can uh, cause conflict. It can cause conflict. And so just brainstorm ideas with within your own home about how you can more faithfully celebrate the Sabbath. Scripture, tell, scripture actually does talk a good deal about how we spend our time. And the Bible has a lot to say, theologically, robust things to say about time. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians, we saw this in our sermon series, that he says to walk circumspectly, redeeming the time, or making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. One of the, the best ways to, to faithfully observe that commandment is to celebrate the Lord's Day. There's, there's no, I, in my opinion, there's no better way to redeem the time than to set aside the Lord's Day and to celebrate it as a, a festive day of rest and celebration. Um, so again, if you're coming with that, if you're coming with that assumption that the Sabbath was made for man and it's a gift and it is to be celebrated and enjoyed and you are to take pleasure in it, then um, that might help with the brainstorming portion of uh, speaking about this topic with your family so celebrating the sabbath that's that's one of the means toward fostering a culture of interconnectedness because just think we don't even have to get super specific about it if we are spent trying to spend more time with other christians that that leads to interconnectedness that leads to just more time more conversations the sharing of your life opening up things like that um and then also an openness to outsiders, which will become a little more, a little clearer as we go on here. So let's, um, let's move on to this. Um, this is point B we're looking at here now, practicing hospitality. By the way, we'll, we'll spend, we'll, we'll leave a few minutes at the end for a brief time of Q&A. So if there's, you know, gaping things that weren't addressed, then we can, then by all means, bring that up. Or if you're wanting a little more clarity about um, the, if you want a little more clarity about what, we're, what I'm getting at here, then you can bring that up as well. 
So you can write down your questions as you're going. Uh, just wanted to put, put that out there. All right, secondly then, practicing hospitality. This is connected to celebrating the Sabbath. So we're not now talking to we're talking about a, a completely separate thing. I'm, I'm uh, conceiving of these three means as kind of uh, the broadest down to the narrowest. Now you can practice them in other ways, of course, that are a little more distinct. But celebrating the Sabbath and now kind of with, under that umbrella, practicing hospitality. 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verse 9. This seems to be a very broad universal command says to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. You see Peter's insight. <laughs> he, he knows that it is a difficult thing to show hospitality. So he says, stop grumbling about it. <laughs> you have to do this anyway. Now, what, what actually is hospitality? There's, there's broad and there's narrow ways of thinking about it. But one kind of surefire definition is that it is love for strangers. Love for strangers. Um, that's just the, if you look at the etymology of the word. That's what this word is getting at, is showing love for strangers. Well, the welcome of strangers. And it's actually different than entertaining guests. That is a, that's a key distinction. The Christian command to show hospitality uh, is not primarily obeyed by having, what is it called, Home and Country Magazine. You know, that's fine if you're, if you're looking for etiquette and having a nice home. Those are great things. But those aren't key to hospitality. If you, had don't, if you have not achieved those, those ideals from the magazines, you, have, you are still able to show hospitality. Okay? So um, those who have very little are able to show hospitality. In fact, the Christian tradition has been um, marked by an, a, a, uh, an impulse to give even when they don't have very much. This is what Paul commends to the Corinthian church. Um, that he, there, were churches, there were Gentile churches who were impoverished, and even they gave out of their poverty to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. You know, you would expect the other way around historically for, for a variety of reasons, but... The church, these Gentile churches of Macedonia had very little, and yet they were providing for the needs of others. That's kind of the impulse in, in hospitality, that whatever your means, you are learning how to love the stranger. Now, again, I'm not doing deep dives into Bible teaching or theology tonight, but hospitality is not like an add-on in the Christian life. We show hospitality because that's precisely what God has done for us in Christ. And um, this is why we have sacraments. You know, the guy, one, of, one of my professors used to say that when, you're, when you are adopted in the household of faith, you are given a bath, it's baptism, and then you're brought to the table, and that's the supper. This, that's the beauty of the sacraments, is that they show you a very intimate welcome into the household of faith. And you have brothers and sisters, and God is now your father, and Christ is called your elder brother. I mean, the metaphors just go on and on. And that is God welcoming the worst kind of a stranger into his home. And that's why hospitality is commanded. It's actually vitally connected to what, what God has done for us in the gospel. 
Um, so it's different than entertaining guests. There's something really deep and profound going on when we show hospitality. So let's get, let's get practical. Here's some ideas. Um, and several of these ideas, or at least a couple of these ideas, come from the article listed on the back by William Bookestein. William Bookestein. He wrote a chapter in a book called Faithful and Fruitful. And the chapter is called Elders and Deacons as Hospitality Leaders. Uh, because the leaders of the church especially are to be exemplary in opening their lives to others and showing love to strangers. But he's got, Bugestein has got awesome stuff for all Christians in this chapter. So um, it's listed there. If you don't want to buy the full book because it's, it's for officers of the church or because the other chapters don't seem interesting to you, reach out to me and I'll find a way to get a copy. I can make a copy or whatever. So there's really good stuff in there. And here's a taste of it. The first is... Actually budgeting for and scheduling hospitality meals at your home, especially on Sundays. This is one of those things where hospitality is not easy. That's, part, that's, part, that's why it's commanded. <laughs> Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't feel the need to do it. And because it's not easy, then if we don't plan thoughtfully ways to actually do it, then we just probably won't do it. And not meaningfully and not over time. So... Book of Sun gives this, it's so obvious, but it's, it's kind of a crucial piece of advice. Budget for and schedule hospitality meals at your home. And again, thinking about the Sabbath and, and, and spending time with other Christians, especially doing so on Sundays. A second uh, piece of advice would be inviting any church visitors to your home for, for lunch after our morning service and Bible study. It would, be, it would be awesome if what we worked toward as a congregation was that if somebody new came into our church or they're still kind of visiting and feeling things out, maybe they've been a few times, but that they would just end up at someone's house, those early, especially those early days when they're visiting, and that they, they immediately know they're welcome. And they've not only been welcomed into the congregation, but they're actually going to break bread with somebody in, in this congregation. Um, Nicole and I just got our, we were just revitalized in this, because uh, we were shown this kind of welcome at our church in California when we were out there. And then some time went by and you, you trying to get things going with the church, and, and now we've got everything happening in the mornings. So we hadn't thought about it, honestly, I don't think, that much. And then I've shared this with some of you a month ago or so when we were gone for a few days. We were in Tennessee, and we went to an OPC church. Just a small OBC church, literally in the middle of nowhere. We got lost on the way there. <clears throat> and we came in, and it's like we are Reformed Christians, and I'm a, I'm a Reformed pastor, and we still felt the discomfort because it's uncomfortable to go into another church, and you don't know anybody. You know, how much harder is it for literally anybody else to come into our church? Um, so I was reminded of the discomfort that you feel when you come into a church. Um, given that we had so many things in common with these brothers and sisters anyway, and we still felt a little, a little awkward. And right after the church, a gentleman came over to us and invited us to his house afterwards. And he already had a family coming to his house that day. So we were just, he said, we've already got tons of food. You guys should just come over. And because of that, we were with them the whole day. We, our kids had kids to play with. We had adults to hang out with. And then we went back for the evening service. And it was great. It was just great. It was like that ideal that that church, which is further along, has been able to work towards. 
and these, two, these families, neither of whom lived within a half, a half an hour of the church. One was 35 minutes away, the other was 45 minutes away. And every Sunday is just like, we're going to both services, and we are going to open our homes as much as we can. And that's just the conviction. And if it doesn't happen, it's because something extraordinary has happened that week, that that will be the exception. Um, that was not only wonderful to experience, but it was also convicting to experience as well. So I commend that again as an ideal. We'll work toward these things. You can't, you can't just like turn on the switch and suddenly all these things fall into place. But prayerfully work toward that kind of thing. And it would be wonderful if that kind of thing was happening when people uh, visit our own church. A third suggestion is creatively brainstorming ways to overcome the challenges of commutes, the needs of children, and all kinds of other things. There's lots of obstacles to uh, both celebrating the Sabbath and also practicing hospitality. And um, it just takes, you've got you to spend time considering these things. So again, I'm going to just share as many anecdotes as I can to be practical about it. At, at uh, our former church, the Krause's former church at Oceanside, when, when Nicole and I were there, when we first came there, Calvin was a year and a half, and then Ingrid was born while we were there. And, and we traveled, I guess it was about a 40-minute drive for us to, to get there. And um, the weeks when we would go to a hospitality lunch after the service, which almost always somebody's home was open, and I'm assuming that was still the case. Oh, yeah. yeah. Almost always somebody's home was open. Um, when Calvin and Ingrid were still, like, had to have their naps, otherwise it was really ugly, the, our pastor, Danny Hyde, and his wife, Kara Jean, they just said, well, bring a pack-and-play or, or whatever you need, and uh, they can sleep in one of the kids' rooms. And that happened at least in two, I think it, was, it happened in Georgia, at Georgia's house, too. So people just said, they made it as comfortable as they could, and, you know, not every house is the same, so you've got to figure things out. But that's the kind of accommodation. You just kind of, as part of the welcoming, is that... My house is your house type of thing. With some limitations, of course, but uh, you open your home and, and accommodate as best you can. Um, so creatively brainstorming, and it does, it does take some creativity, but this is, a, this is a sanctified activity, is to think deeply, give your time and your mind over to um, taking barriers away from practicing hospitality so that it becomes easier and easier to do it. A fourth suggestion is um, speaking with your family ahead of time about how to welcome people who are different from you. We already meet those qualifications in that we are different people. Our families do things differently. We have different convictions. We have different political views. We have different jobs. We have come from different backgrounds into this church. I don't think anybody in this church grew up in a Reformed or Presbyterian denomination, was like born into it and raised in it. Now, that's kind of remarkable. And it means we bring a lot of religious baggage with us. And sorry, that's just there. So you can, we got to deal with it with each other. And that's okay. And what this means is that if that's already the case with the people that we are already growing comfortable with, then the differences will only get more extreme the more we open our homes to outsiders and our lives to outsiders. So make, make this a family affair when you are seeking to open your home. And, you know, the world is not going... There's a time to confront the really wicked things going on in the world for the church, as the church, to confront these things. There are, there are ample opportunities for this. What, what is really going to um, give an open ear 
is that at the experience level, people who are stuck in these wicked ways of thinking are then welcomed into our homes and our lives. I don't think there's a really effective other way to do this than to show that we are we have no personal vendetta against people, um, but but we we hate the world and the flesh and the devil, and we want sinners to come to faith in Jesus Christ, and we want to show them what the household of faith looks like. And you can give them a taste by being welcoming in, in the church, of course, but also welcoming them into your home. But the catch is that. This brings things into your life and into your home that you're going to have to deal with. There are people who live radically different lives. They live wicked lifestyles. They need the Lord. And so we have to make these things a family affair. So this is, very, this is tough, especially with young kids. But thinking proactively about uh, welcoming people into your home who are radically different from you is always worth the time. That is always going to uh, bring about dividends. And, um, and then think, Bookestein in this uh, article, he talks about how his, he and his wife sometimes would invite people over only after they put the kids in bed. Um, and, and then other times, as best they could, <laughs> and then other times, as best they could, they would uh, they'd prepare the kids ahead of time. So, you know, you, you ask, get the kids involved by serving and say, hey, when these friends come over tonight... Why don't you ask a question like this? Don't make it just about you, but ask, ask questions and get them involved. And then probably brace yourself for impact if you have invited truly radically different people into your home. Allow for awkwardness and for weird questions for your kids to be asked and then to dialogue with them afterwards. Um, yeah, you see, there's no formula to this kind of thing. It just means working through it over time. But I think uh, we have to be exhorted toward that. So speaking with your family ahead of time. And then a fifth, a fifth practical suggestion there is praying for future opportunities, I should say, of hospitality. No, no, no that, that is correct. Praying for future opportunities if hospitality is just not possible right now. There are, of course, th- this is a universal command, uh, but it doesn't mean it looks exactly the same in everyone's house. And there are times where it's just, it doesn't work for one reason or another. But don't let that become the, the ongoing practice, um, being non-practicing. <laughs> don't, don't be perpetually non-practicing of the command to show hospitality. But pray, literally pray for future opportunities and for opportunities to help someone else show hospitality or to, you know, thinking about like on a Sunday, maybe you can't do this in your own home effectively right now for whatever reason. But you're going to go to another person's house maybe once a month or twice a month, and you're going to bring one dish or you're going to help with the kids or whatever it is. That kind of thing. You know, that, just helping where you can. All right. So we've looked at celebrating the Sabbath, practicing hospitality, especially with a focus on Sundays. Now practicing witnessing. And by this, I'm just, I mean evangelism. Evangelism. Some Reformed people get a little weird if you say evangelism because they, they want to say that's only for pastors. I, dis- I disagree with that, but I'm just trying to be as unoffensive as possible because we're talking about difficult things tonight already. So bearing witness to Christ, then that's real biblical language anyway, and it's a good way to talk about it. And you do this in various ways. You do not have to... It, it, being faithful in bearing witness on behalf of Christ with unbelievers... 
does not necessarily mean some aggressive evangelism campaign. Um, maybe it, it, it could. Maybe it could. But you have ordinary lives and you've got primary responsibilities. And you have jobs and families and you have to take care of these things. So you can't orient your life around an aggressive evangelism campaign. Some may be called to that kind of thing and many are not. Practicing witnessing, more broadly speaking, is the responsibility of all believers. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We have a message and we've got to, we have to share it with people. Uh, one qualification is that this also is a, is, a, is a practice that sometimes is just harder when it comes to people outside your own family. So parents, one way you fulfill this is by doing family worship and catechizing your children. This is, that's witnessing. That's one ordinary way of doing it. So you know, don't feel guilty if you are not able to do some regimented thing when it comes to bearing witness for Christ or doing evangelism. However, we've got some practical suggestions here. One is assuming that loving the stranger in hospitality will lead to opportunities to share the gospel. Just, I mean, think of, think of the... It, you've probably heard of Rosaria Butterfield. Her book on hospitality is recommended on the back. And Rosaria Butterfield, if you're not familiar with her, she was a tenured professor, I think, at Syracuse University. And she was a practicing lesbian in a long-term committed relationship. And over time, a, a Reformed Presbyterian church, literally over the course of years in the Syracuse era, area, invited her over to their homes, lots of different people. And she's now one of the most powerful uh, voices in, in our day and age. She's now married. She has adopted children. She's a psalm-singing-only, non-instrumental Presbyterian. She's like hardcore. She's hardcore. Um, and it's one reason why she's so effective. She can speak very decisively and clearly on some of the hardest issues of our day. And she speaks so wonderfully about hospitality and about evangelism because she saw it done so well. And she speaks about how the LGBT community, however you want to talk about that as a community, the little pockets of community offers real community to people. People who will listen, people who will tell you you're awesome, people who, you know, it's twisted, of course, like that, we understand that. But there's a community there, and a lot of people assume that you can just call someone out of a lifestyle like that and into a vacuum. And you can't do that. You've got, we, we need to embrace Folks, we need to be ready to embrace folks who are walking in darkness, no matter their background. And uh, Rosaria Butterfield uh, speaks profoundly to that kind of a thing. And so if we are assuming that that practice of hospitality, of loving the stranger, if we're assuming that that's going to open doors, then that's all the more reason to be practicing hospitality and being ready to bear witness and to give reason for the hope that's within you. Second suggestion is inviting unbelievers or malnourished believers that you know to church and making it an open and ongoing invitation. That actually, that's a very faithful thing to do. This is the ordinary way that people can believe is that they're invited to a church and they hear the preaching of the gospel and they see the Christian church live out their faith. And there you go. I mean, it doesn't get more bare bones than that. Uh, that's... It, that's the healthiest way for that kind of a thing to happen. It doesn't always happen that way. But you don't want to evangelize somebody 
in, in a manner that is so uh, divorced from the church that then they believe in Jesus, but they've got, they want nothing to do with the church. And that's, that is a dime a dozen around this country. People who were saved in some extraordinary non-normative way in tent revivals and in you know, aggressive evangelism campaigns with people who don't really care that much about the institutional church and about corporate worship. And then these people free float and uh, that's not healthy. You can't grow like that. So inviting people that you know to church is a faithful thing to do and make it a very warm and, and open-ended invitation. Okay, that's the, that is by far the most that, that we needed to talk through tonight because it has to do with our internal, our growing ourselves. These are very challenging things to think about. So growing ourselves, growing in our knowledge of Christ, prayerfully considering what Scripture says about these things. And um, but now I want to turn to efforts for especially reaching the lost, get, getting the attention of those that are outside this community to let them know we are here. We, we exist. We are here. We have something to offer you. Um, and of course, there's overlap because we've been speaking a lot about the lost already. But um, here's the goal that we have in mind here. It is welcoming those outside our church to ask hard questions about the Christian faith and worship. Here's, here's what's behind this goal and wording it this way. We have had many, many visitors come to events or Bible studies or to our worship services now for the last year and a half and more who um, you, could, you could end up making kind of a, you could chart it because we've had enough of each category at this point. There are some who come and it's like, from the, from the call to worship, or before, before that, maybe, uh, they're crawling out of their skin and they're just they're ready to leave as soon as they, as soon as they can get out. Yeah, this, the same category would be, yeah, the, the robe doesn't do any favors sometimes. So. I'll, uh, there's more to say about that, but I'm, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Um, the, the second kind of person is that there's some interest... It's like it's intriguing, or maybe they maybe they heard they've heard about elements of the, of a worship service like this, or um, you know they like they they like RC Sproul, or they've heard they've listened to the White Horse Inn, and so they've had some kind of like reformed influence, and then they hear reformed Madison reformed church. Oh, let's go check that out, and it doesn't feel right because they they didn't expect a liturgical structured service. Whatever, you know, they, there's things, something bothers them. So maybe they stick with it for a while or they come and go for a little bit and then they're kind of gone. And the other kind of, of uh, visitor, we're talking about those who don't stay with us right now. Um, the other kind of visitor is those who seem to, re- there's something deeper going on. They're attracted to something, but some unknown thing is just like they can't stick with it. They can't seem to stick with it. Now, we're early on in the life of our church, so we pray that the Lord would bring them back in. But we see different kinds of visitors. And so, um, over time, I've realized that people have questions. They just don't want to ask them. They don't, they don't actually want to ask them. But one way or the, or the other, we have found out in some scenarios that they came and they saw and then they had some questions, but they didn't want to ask, so that, that was that. But they talked to someone else in town about it. Um, and it's like, well, that's not, you're not going to get your question answered like that. So I think that it's, a, uh, it's worthwhile for us to 
put the questions out there for them. So that's one reason why we have the frequently asked questions section in the bulletin, and we've got that on the website. That, that's only going to reach so many people. So two things, and th- this primarily has to do with efforts that I'll be putting in, and this is far, more, far, far less um, requesting your involvement than the stuff that we talked about with the internal stuff up above, although it's welcome, it's welcome. The first is seasonal Bible studies. Seasonal Bible studies, let me say a couple of things about this. First, uh, back in November, we were doing a bonfire Bible study at the Malcolm's house, and we did that uh, for the, the five weeks of November, and two or three of those weeks were really good for uh, visitors that we, I think it was all people that we had known already. I don't think there was any brand new people to those, but it was folks that we'd had a hard time maintaining connection with, and several of those folks came over the course of a few of those weeks. And it was like a non, you know, if this feels weird and threatening here on Sunday mornings, that didn't have the same thing. We're still teaching the Bible, we sing a psalm, but then you're like around a campfire and we had s'mores and the kids could play and it was way easier. It was just easier along those lines. Um, And then afterwards we could just hang out and chat and and that was that. That, I think, was helpful um, for just showing that we're not a cult <laughs> and not a bunch of weirdos that we actually have similar we have we, we have interests in the same things but that we still take the bible seriously um in speaking with the consistory about that and the effectiveness of that bible study it was put out there the suggestion was put out there why don't you do that kind of once a season and uh, since then i thought that's probably a good idea that's a good for the same reasons i just talked about it being effective back in november if we offered something like that for like one month a season and we made it kind of seasonally oriented, that was a bonfire Bible study because it was the fall. And for the winter, maybe like a fireside Bible study or a tailgate Bible study during the summer, whatever. You get very cutesy, as cutesy as you want with these things. The point is that it would be some, some environment along those lines, um, assuming we could secure that kind of thing consistently for, for a full month, and just having simple and very casual Bible studies. And if we had it that consistently, then it could become something that people begin to expect. If they, if they enjoy one, we'll say, well, we're taking a break, but we'll be back. We'll do this in two and a half or three months from now. So keep, keep your eyes open. And then that's a good way also to invite them actually to the worship service. If you like these people, we meet every Sunday forever. So you can, you can, you can come. Um, so again, th- these are going to be different each time, and I don't have a you know I don't have one for the summer scheduled. So this is going to take some time to kind of figure out how best to do it, and what to study, and where to do it, and all those kinds of things. Everyone's involvement is of course welcome, and we'll figure out the best way to do that. Maybe sometimes it'll be gender specific, I should say sex specific <laughs> these days, and um, and maybe sometimes with kids, sometimes without, depending on where we hold it. So there could be variety along those lines, but by and large, we'll try to be somewhat consistent about it and and I'll be in touch. I want to put that on your radar, whatever the case, so you know that that's a goal that we have in mind. And then um, uh, another thing, another means here toward this goal is I can only think to call it an online questions series. This is to take those questions now specifically in a more confrontational way to folks who either aren't asking the questions or they're not asking us the questions. 
And uh, I thought about different ways of doing this and, and, and getting some advice from other church planters and, and talking with Westside's consistory about it. The, the way that I'm going to approach this is think about a particular question. Like, like here's one. Are tent revivals biblical? Okay. Revivals are not, they're everywhere in this area and all over the country during the summer. You know, on, you put it on the calendar, we're going to have a revival. And that is, that is not Christian. <laughs> it's not a Christian way. That's 200 years old. That kind of a practice is 200 years old. It's uniquely American, you know, um, and it's not, you can't find that kind of a thing in the Bible as normative. So you ask the question because it's out there. We don't want, you know, it, it, mercifully, we don't want people to engage in that kind of thing because we want people to grow in their faith and have healthy Christian community and that kind of thing. And you're not going to get that in the revival model. Revivalism destroys people. That's what it does. It gets them super excited and then it spits them out later. That's how that works. This is a little, just one, one word of background here. In, in the 1800s, there was a debate among Presbyterians about what do we do about revivalism? Because that's when it was really gaining steam. And the two camps here, the two, uh, the two parties involved, were the revivalists and the catechists. Okay, Those who believed in intense, hardcore, down at the altar, sit at the anxious bench, we're going to sing Come As You Are, or not, not Come As You Are, uh, Just As I Am, whatever it is, yeah. There's a song called Come, Come As You Are, but uh, that's, a, that's more modern. Whatever it is, like we're not, we're, not do, we're not stopping this service until someone is up here. That kind of a thing. There's that. And then there's the way of the catechism. Um, and so Reformed folks were having to think through, like, is that you, you can't do this. You can't like you can't manipulate people's emotions into the kingdom. That's just a different form of coercion, and Christians don't coerce people to believe. Um, the other way is to just preach the gospel and to catechize your children, and that, that's not as exciting. <laughs> that's for sure. But that is what God has given us. He's given us the means of grace to offer over time to people, and um, so a question like this could be posed. And then you have a paragraph answer. So it's going a little further than the, the frequently asked questions that we have on the bulletin on the website. And you give some scripture. You give a hard-hitting kind of answer to provoke thought in people. And um, this would be – now I hate this, but the more that I've talked about it with folks, I think this is a, a good way to go in terms of getting some traction with it. These would be posted as Facebook posts because I thought about newsletters – Thought about digital newsletters, thought about online blogs, and yeah, people know. The way, people are going to see it if you put it on Facebook, and they may even argue about it with oh, you out there. <laughs> now, whether or not, I, I may turn the comment section off, I don't know what to do about that, but now to help with this, it will be uh, Zach Wise, Pastor Zach at, at Westside, Pastor Brandon Burks at Westside, and Pastor Austin Rifle at Indie Reformed, and I. The four of us will be working on a collection of these and then we'll we'll each write a few and then we'll share them with each other and then on our own i don't know if we're going to do it just with the church's facebook post or our our personal ones that remains to be seen um putting this on your radar because i don't like facebook at all and if you suddenly see more activity 
uh, it's not inviting you to, to, it's really not inviting you to do anything except pray about it. <laughs> and to know that this is why it's happening. It's just to get it out there and see if we can elicit some, um, just put our church and what our church is about on the radars of other people. If this ends up being a stupid idea, then we'll stop it. Uh, and there, it's ripe with pitfalls and, and minds anyway. But we're going to give it a try. And um, because, again, the problem that we have faced is that either folks aren't asking the questions. And so the answers we're giving just, you know, it's not making sense. Or they're not asking us the questions. So we're going to bring some of those, those particular questions out to others and uh, see what happens. That's the external. All right, hopefully that's uh, clear enough. There's no, this isn't really going to change, especially not immediately. This isn't going to change too much about our Sunday to Sunday activities when we're gathered together. Um, and again, over time, what I'm asking all of us to do is to prayerfully consider the ways to work toward some of these ideals and then to work toward them. And that'll just take time. Um, why don't we close tonight with a few minutes of questions and then uh and then i can dialogue with people a little bit after we're finished or ongoing through the week phone calls text messages emails and things like that but if there's any immediate questions i'd be glad to take some yeah In a small town like this, as you know, it, I mean, specific com- conversations will make its way around back to you. So it's that kind of thing where somebody will say that uh, there's, there's this church, I went and visited it, and I'm recording this tonight, so I especially don't want to get any too, too much more specific about it. But, um, and it was really, this was weird. And did you know that they baptize babies? Like, I can't believe... I knew Colin when he was a kid, and he went to a different church. And I can't believe he's baptizing babies now. Like this is, what you know, you could pick, you could pick a topic, and then there's just some uh, dunking. <laughs> no pun intended. There's dunking on the whatever the topic is, and uh, and that's that. It's over. But through gossip, the the grapevine gossip, uh, it ends up coming back around. So maybe questions are asked, maybe they're not. But a, a discussion is had. And it's like, why didn't you just talk about it? You could, you know, you could just ask. You just ask us about it, and we, we would try not to uh, bludgeon you with an answer. But we will try to show you it's in the Bible. We will do that, um, whatever, the, whatever it happens to be. So is that helpful? Yeah, Chris? I understand how it's like you're going on to some, some website, whatever. That I don't know, and I, yeah. If that were happening, I would get as far away from that as, as I could anyway and just ignore it. But, yeah, it's more just old school kind of talk talk around town. So, am I seeing this? Your, sorry, your hand was coming up, I thought. Uh, just a uh, comment on hospitality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we've practiced this for years, or at least tried to, on a somewhat of a consistent basis. And things change and, and whatever, but... One of our experiences that has happened since we moved to the Trimmer South uh, is that uh, there can be 
and unwillingness to accept. So just let me encourage anybody in the future, if you're invited, don't make up excuses. <laughs> you know, accept and go. Um, yes, it's uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah. But you know, you, you don't know until you get there. Right. Um, and uh, uh, so it, we've had the experience that we, we can't get anybody to come over to our house, you know, in, in times past. Um, now, I understand when you have <laughs> children, it, it, you know, it's a little bit different when you have a house full of kids and you're inviting a single person over or an, an, an elderly couple that, you know, they're like, uh, what are we going to do with their six or seven kids, right? Right. And, and, and you know, uh, yeah, I'm sure Bob wants to say something. Go ahead, Bob. Yeah, go ahead. So, um, it seems like two different ways uh, that you've spoken about hospitality on Sundays, the Lord's Day here. So, at ORC, we used to do a uh, anyone can come, everyone's invited, it just happens to get this house that was open, and there was no one that would be skipped that week. Right. Like, um, so say the crowd has said, hey, on uh, this Sunday and the next month, it's just on the calendar, if you want to fellowship, come on over. Everyone's welcome, including visitors. And it's just like, you know, you come. But you're also speaking of uh, uh, like individuals kind of team pairing up mm -hmm. and then having it over. Um, I, I see it in both ways. Maybe you can any of that it, it real I mean for real anything that's going to foster exactly the kind of thing that you're talking about which is opening our homes in as creative ways as possible yeah Yep. Next Wednesday, would we tell you, and then you could advertise it, or is that more like uh, just tell people? Because it's, the good. logistics of it are a little not not you just haven't been ironed out. Um, how were they doing it? I can't remember how it happened at Oceanside. It's just like it's you, you, you can claim a Sunday. Was it in the? Was, was it emailed was in, out? It was in the, the church literature. In the okay. They didn't schedule that. And I would okay. recommend that what they did on URC was we ne almost never had a, had a Sunday where there was not at least half the congregation over at someone's house. Right. And it was always a different house. I think one right. of the problems is that when you're just starting out, it's like only a couple families. It can be right. overly burdensome. But like we would love to open our home to the whole congregation once a month. That's great. Um, and we'd love to do it next Sunday. Like, Father's Day is next Sunday. Maybe it's Yeah. Yes, thank you for bringing up but that. I don't know, maybe you could lead it. Maybe you could just find some practical logistics around us so we didn't step on everyone's toes. Or other people didn't step on each other's toes. Here, maybe here's what I'll say. That we, I won't do... I, I'll resist uh, a more structured like scheduling along you know, Vivian reaching out and getting that on the schedule, at least for now, until we grow and until it's clear that that's like something we could manage. 
all of our families could manage. Um, however, if anybody's open to this kind of a thing, which is a wonderful idea, then just reach out to me, you know, a week or two, really any time ahead. And then I can just put it out to the whole congregation via email or put it in the bulletin, that kind of a thing. Maybe we could, we'd have to get more concrete as we went about it, but maybe it would have to be at least a week ahead. So I could, I could announce it at least one week prior. Well, the key, actually, what we found at, uh, at one of our cities is just so laid back. All you do is RSVP. And then you know how much food you can So that's why so, you need advance notice. And that's like an email if you go out and say, hey, whoever is opening up their home, RSVP by Friday. Uh, individually, right. you don't need to email everyone. It's blind copy. And then it's just like, oh, yeah, we're coming. Um, you know. For three people, for four people, and then it's like, okay, we're talking about twelve people. We can make this potluck dish or whatever. Let's talk. Let's talk more. Let's talk after. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to say what to do. I'm just. No, no, no. I, I love this. Okay. I, but I think what we'll do is, since you guys are showing showing this willingness right now. We're, we've been, we've been, we've just, right. Well, whenever. It's just, it's just, the. the Let's you guys will be the beta test, and let's see the alpha test. It will. Oh, I see. You're the alpha test, the prototype, uh, and let's talk about how best to schedule it, and we'll figure out what works, and then we can recommend that to anybody else. Uh, should another, should any other family want to try the same thing, and then we can. So, in terms of scheduling, so I'll get with you guys about that and how to open it up to the congregation and then anybody else who's wanting to do that kind of thing just yeah just reach out because this will take time to as it's happening organically it'll take time to figure out the most structured way to do it so yeah yeah mm-hmm. Nothing is off the table. Because we're in church plant mode, nothing is off the table. <laughs> However, <laughs> well, I'll even have a 10 revival in these first years. So, yeah, I mean, whatever it takes. Don't Just kidding. No, nothing nothing uh, that we've done in the past is off the table. You know, along, along the lines of the stuff that we talked about during those 
event planning meetings. Um, the only balance that I want to strike is that I don't want to, it's so easy to do things and have events and have programs that then um, your, your church uh, involvements become really burdensome. That's, that's, I think, part of the problem with broad evangelical churches is that people, like, never leave their church buildings. They're always coming back to church buildings or flock groups or ABFs or community groups. Or, those things aren't bad. Like, those are great. But we just end up, like, stacking stuff on top of each other in Awana and a soup kitchen. And it's like, you can't be a city where you do nothing except you're with each other. You have, like, vocations as well. And you have your family and all that. So I'm always a little... Um, I just don't want to overdo it, basically. That's the only thing right now in these early days yeah. that makes me say, no, I don't want to do that. But, yes, I'm open to doing those kind of things. Still, like, do you, do you, do you see, like, a, a once-year event, like, either a security group or maybe, like, a fair group or something like that, a once-year thing of, like, getting, like, into the community as far as that group? Yeah. Yeah, you're asking as a possibility like, of those. Chili brew or something like that. Yeah. Getting material out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The second question is, what has the Reformed Church, and I mean Reformed in the broadening Reformed term, what has been the uh, their thoughts on doing active evangelism in a certain concentrated area, like groups of people organized by the church? Uh, they they welcomed it, um, and and it's obviously more complex than that. But the main thing is that evangelism techniques have tended to be evangelism techniques and evangelism materials and booklets and tracts um, have tended to be published by Arminian theologians and publishing companies and. You know, I don't. You know, say what you want about that. At least they're tr- they're trying, but they're coming with a theology that we would strongly reject. So what all that we would ask, you know, I, I've seen in candidacy exams for ministers, as elders are, and pastors are grilling a, min- a ministry candidate, I've I've heard them ask if you conducted if you encouraged your church to conduct evangelism, um, would you be okay with you know like any technique? And what they're getting at is tell us what kind of assumptions would have to be in place in the actual call of the gospel. Like, what, what kinds of things would, would be allowed to be said? You, know, you can't just say, Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life if you would just believe in him. Um, you know, that's, that's no good. Um, so, ba- basically, yes, uh, Reformed Christians have welcomed evangelism. That I think any suspicion we may find has to do with what material are you using? You know, so, yeah. Well, so it wasn't, necess- it wasn't necessarily the same because, I mean, downtown, especially on Main Street, becomes a different a different place entirely whenever you have an event like Sutsu Chili Brew or the other places, the other events that are happening, where everybody's intermingling and everything like that. Um, but something that we got to do, uh, and you got to do several times with the food, and everybody got to do was talk with different kinds of people from different walks of life and share the gospel. We got to have conversations with guys who had a, a very, uh, I mean, uh, two, two men that were a couple coming and talking to us. We got to engage with them in a way that we wouldn't get 
needed to otherwise. Right. So I guess the question is, would there be an openness to just sharing the gospel? 100%. 100%. Yep. Yeah. I, uh, really, the only obstacle for things like that is just um, the, or- the organization that it takes. Like, that's really all. That's really it. I'm just new. You know, I, that's something that's very common in evangelical circles. Right. You hit this neighborhood, I hit that neighborhood, that kind of stuff, you know. Right. But I didn't know exactly how it worked within the church. Uh, what, what maybe was the most prudent and wise way of going about it? Well, one of the best sermons I ever heard in seminary which that's a low bar. Seminary preaching is really bad. But one of the best, one of the best sermons I ever heard was from a, a, an RPCNA guy, a Reformed Presbyterian guy, who would go to Balboa Park in San Diego and do open-air preaching. And uh, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I think you, there's a, a horrible way to do it. <laughs> that's probably what is mostly out there. But this was one of the most compassionate intelligent, just like calls to saving faith I'd ever heard. It was really well done. So there's nothing, yeah, our confessions do not condemn that. There's nothing inherently unbiblical. You can certainly do them in unbiblical ways, but yeah. So on the street evangelism or even open air preaching, God's confession that is hardly accepted. Yeah, yeah. We would only just... Right, right. That's right. Any other questions? Maybe one more, if there's any. Yeah, Tiffany. Um, in your uh, description of love of strangers versus entertaining guests, are we just trying to focus more on um, inviting others to our home? Because I'm having trouble differentiating entertaining and having people over. Maybe, thank you for asking that, because maybe the best way to answer it would be to say it could look exactly the same, but that the intention is probably the key factor. It may not, it may not look the same, but it could. So entertaining guests, what, all I'm getting at with that is um, the, the house is spotless, you get out the fine china, you, what, whatever it happens to be. For whatever reason, you're entertaining guests. It's more like a more like a festive gathering maybe entertaining guests like you would on a holiday at your house um and that that's not necessary to achieve hospitality that you can lovingly welcome people into your house and it can be way more on the fly yeah so that's the main thing i'd want to say but it could look the same for sure i think your emphasis is like the hallmark of a great entertainment of guests is that you do everything correctly yeah thank you that's that's helpful that's right. Which doesn't need the, the uh, all of your It's not a it's it's not performance. Absent all those things, it's better than the, the false uh, thing, which would be great having everything perfect and squared away. But uh, we're not after uh, the the outer representation of, of entertainment of guests. Right. Looks great. So the second fold of my question is: Are we trying to, as a congregation, just focus on inviting others in our homes or finding other ways of expressing hospitality? Both, yeah. Oh, okay. Definitely both. Because again, uh, 
we go through stages where it's, it's more difficult to open our homes. Um, and if that's the case, then assisting others or finding creative ways to be involved with hospitality um, and involvement with just the church, especially like on potluck days. That's a one practical way. But then also working toward praying toward the goal of opening your house in particular. Yeah. So, yeah, both and. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm purposely trying to be at least a little vague on these things because there's a lot of freedom in how to, in, in how to be faithful to these calls. And it, it, it has a lot to do with thinking thoughtfully about how to work around your particular calling and your job and your involvements and your budget and all kinds of stuff go into it. So, yeah, quite a bit of freedom there in thinking through it. Yeah, thanks for that. Why don't we leave it at that? Um, thank you again for your attention tonight and for regathering. Uh, just be in prayer about these particular efforts and, and how you can be orienting yourself toward them. And if you have more things you want to talk about or dialogue about, especially with me, then I'm, I'm open. So just reach out. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Father, as we close this day together as the people of God, We celebrate Christ and we thank you for the great works of redemption that he has worked for us poor sinners. And we ask that uh, the means of grace which have been offered to us earlier today would prevail upon our hearts, orient us more toward Christ, help us to put to death the old man and to make alive the new. And we pray that as we consider these particular callings on our lives as Christians to be Uh, faithful in in obeying the Sabbath command and showing hospitality and bearing witness for Christ, being open to outsiders, we pray that you would equip us for these great callings. Help us to be a community of love and compassion, but to maintain uh, uh, fidelity to the Christian faith and to the very holy law of God. And we ask that you would do all of this in the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you and we love you, Father, and we ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.